just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Firstly, what a week. After New Zealand, the majority of our listeners are in America. So just know that I am with you and am really hopeful that this will be the start of something positive, especially for our That's So Chronic family. This week, I'm talking about Crohn's disease with Claire Chittam. You might recognize her as Waverly on Shortland Street, Aurora on Outrageous Fortune, or most recently as Penny in TVNZ's Fresh Eggs. In this episode, Claire talks about what it was like to be diagnosed at only 13 years old, a hospitalisation while working on Shortland Street that changed her life and inspired a lifestyle change. And at the end, she even gives us a little insider info on her upcoming book. I think Claire and I talked for hours, so it was one of those interviews where we just pressed record in the middle and here it is. I really hope you enjoy. Welcome to That's So Chronic. There she goes. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm so excited. And I keep saying to people, you know, oh, I'm so excited to be talking to you. But like, I'm not excited. I wish nothing had ever happened to you to talk on the podcast. That's weird. Double entendre. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So most people would probably recognize you as playing Waverly on Shortland Street. I was never really a shorty gal, but I was definitely outrageous fortune. Well, there's always a two camps. Yeah, (laughs) where you obviously played Aurora for a few seasons. Yeah, uh, only actually a couple. I was actually only on it for like sort of the second half of, maybe it was season two, and then I think she came to her fateful demise in season three. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess most recently you were in Netflix's rom-com, Falling in Love. (laughs) In with two ends, Jess. (laughs) Yeah, to in love. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yes. And TVNZ's Fresh Eggs. Yes. But you're also the co-founder of the Health and Happiness Hub. Good for you, TV. Good for you, TV. That's yeah. .co.nz. <laughs> oh, nice. What a, that, that's a great ad, Jess. Yeah, we, I, I sort of started a, I guess, a, you know, a bit of a side project. Started that a couple of years ago with a journalist, Kylie Bailey, who used to work in, in the women's mags mm. world um, and left that world and started doing other writing and uh, working in the health and wellness space a lot more and so and I think like you the story and the history that I have of my own um, health challenges that I've kind of faced and then obviously now I've got a few years on you Jess so yep. <laughs> um, I have now you know kind of had 10-20 years of living in, in, in a way of trying to uh, manage and maintain my own health and happiness and learned a few things and I have started to create a platform to kind of try and I think for me it's really about weeding through it's like what you're doing now weeding through stories that uh, are actually meaningful that yep. can be helpful to people who need it mm-hmm. that weeds through all of the obviously wellness in it as an industry is such a fast-growing industry and it's a very saturated market with amazing often amazing and interesting and varied products that can help 
our health and happiness. But I think, like many, um, I still suffer from the same thing of that oversaturation of it all, not quite knowing what is true, what is not, what helps, what doesn't, what it yeah. helps with. It can be so, so overwhelming when you're trying it really to can, especially when you're through. sick. I think, yeah. you know, I think uh, if, if this is just, if people are looking for extra help and support in their lives, then, you know, there's a lot there and you still need that kind of you need someone to say this is trusted information and this kind of is yeah. isn't and then if you're unwell in any way shape or form and sliding down the scale of health in some way um be it mental physical emotional energetic then it's really hard to know where to go so um whereas it sort of started as an experiment now this year hopefully we're we're much closer to um to it being a, a useful platform for people to go to to find out you know to be pointed in the right direction to help yeah amazing um, when it comes to their own health and their own happiness because I'm not going to fix you but you can fix you yes absolutely <laughs> and you were diagnosed with Crohn's disease yes a few years ago Just now. Just a few. <laughs> which we will chat about your diagnosis very soon. But the way that I've been starting most of the podcasts recently have been, what is your definition of Crohn's disease? Um, my definition of Crohn's disease is that it is a chronic inflammatory bowel disease, which they now know is uh, caused by auto, it being an autoimmune illness. So there's right. sort of those two parts to it. It's mm-hmm. caused by the malfunction of the immune system. So areas of your of the intestine, and actually I think by classification it can be anywhere from the esophagus all the way to the exit hole. Um, wow. But essentially most Crohn's disease is classed as from the in, in, um, occurring in the large intestine or the small intestine where areas of the digestive tract become permanently inflamed, therefore damaged, therefore they inhibit your ability to, uh, your gut's ability to absorb nutrients um, into your bloodstream and therefore execute the processes that your gut is meant to execute for you. Mm-hmm. The Therefore, the sort of, I guess, symptoms and how that presents in the body is, while it's varied in many people, is um, intense pain whenever anybody tries to eat anything because it's essentially trying to pass through a bit of nails, yeah. you know, oh on the God. inside of your digestive tract, you know, and, and that in some people it gets to the point where areas of that tract have become so damaged and so inflamed and whilst they might end up on medication to take down the inflammation, the actual scar tissue of the digestive tract itself has become so damaged it's kind of rendered useless. Yeah. So they have to often have um, bowel resectioning surgery, which is awful where pieces of the bowel are chopped out and it's stitched back together, but as possibly many people might now know, you know, the minute you do anything like that, like sort of serious surgery to something like the digestive tract, you end up with, a, 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 you know, um, it's going to be delicate possibly for a really long time and yeah. you have the um, uh, opportunity or the potential, sorry, for there to be leaky gut, for there to be holes, for there to be scar tissue, for it to cause cysts, for it to cause cancer, yeah. all sorts of cool things like that. Yeah, um, it's just full on, isn't it? Yeah, so Crohn's disease itself is a part of the autoimmune family of illnesses now. That's how they've classed it. But I guess it sits very much alongside ulcerative colitis. And, of course, the other thing that comes with the Crohn's disease definition, which if you were diagnosed with Crohn's disease today, and I believe when I so when I was diagnosed, um, when first diagnosed, I was 13 years old. Mm-hmm. 
and I was told then and I was told sort of in my 20s when I was dealing with it more intensely and I think people are still told now that it's incurable. Right. So you will have Crohn's disease for the rest of your life, but it can be managed with pain medication. Okay. Oh my God. We've got so much to unpack <laughs> in this episode. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Yep. You're 13 years old. Yes. And you and I assume your family are yes. with you during this time. Yes. Have just been told that Claire, 13 year old Claire, <laughs> has Crohn's disease. Um. Well, we'll go back a step further than that. When I was 13, I was sort of 12 going on 13 um, one year and I started to have these really strange pains in my stomach and I... I was sort of, uh, I think I was doubling over and sometimes therefore kind of not wanting to eat so much and had started to lose a bit of weight, um, had probably had weird poop going on or something, but also my mum thought I was getting my period. So she thought that I was, you know, basically that was about to start happening. I'd have these sort of achy pains and she'd give me some Ponstan, which I think was something that you sort of took for, you know, anti-period yeah. pain meds then. And it didn't really go away and it, then my period didn't come. So we started to get investigated and that at that time there was um, no, basically nobody had heard of Crohn's disease is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, so getting it diagnosed took some time mm-hmm. and ended up being diagnosed by a very, you know, um, sort of old specialist who now okay. is no longer with us. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was pretty antiquated. The colonoscopies didn't exist. Yeah. Um, so I had some other horrible medieval type things go on in order to oh figure God. things out. And um, yeah, so when I did get told that as such, we didn't know what that meant, had mm-hmm. no frame of reference whatsoever. We were told that it was a chronic inflammatory bowel disorder. And that I'd probably have it forever. I assume I was told that then, actually. I should probably check with my mum. But um, we were given medication that was anti... I was put on steroids. So yep. I was, at first I was put on prednisone. Because by then, by the time we'd got diagnosed, I was really anemic. Okay. Malnourished because... Because the nutrients can't be soaked up, can yep. they? When you're actually eating not food, you're not really through. getting anything. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's just getting spat back out again. And therefore you also, because there's so much pain... When you're eating, you stop eating. Yeah, you don't want to. So Why would you? You're avoiding it, yeah. And so then I got put on prednisone, like quite high doses. I think it was sort of something like 20 mgs or something to start with. Weaned off that and had these anti-inflammatory pills that were the like biggest things in the world that I couldn't swallow properly. So my mum had to break up. And I think I was sort of meant to have like three in the morning, three at lunch, three at night. And they were so big, my mum had to break them up into pieces. Wow. So you're just, you know, all I have this memory of is just having to take all these pills and and this is when you're a teenager you're at school I was literally starting my first year of high school I had other things to worry about thank you very much yeah (laughs) you had to worry about what you were going to wear on mufti day oh yeah (laughs) yeah not well yeah school uniform but it was falling off me and like yeah who I'm going to make friends with and you know defining my entire personality (laughs) was there a sense of what the future was going to look like for you like people were saying you know you're going to have this forever no, I think at that age, I have absolutely no recollection of it whatsoever. Yeah. I literally remember being sick. I remember getting on the pills, the pain going away. Okay. And that was all it meant for me. Okay. And I kind of forgot about it yeah. for another four to five years. And so I guess then you're 16 and you're starting on Shortland Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was, I was, uh, I got that role when I was at school. I was in my third year of high school and... It was only meant to be a short job. 
And uh, so I was just going to do it and then go back to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going um, and turned into my life, really. And, so and I think aren't Waverly and Nick the most loved characters on Short Street? Probably <laughs> still. If you say so. <laughs> I think everyone's heard about them, even if you watch Short Street or not. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. if you were, a, I, I, I still get quite weirded out. I had, um, I was in Dunedin a couple of years ago doing a play and I had like 19-year-old university students run up to me and scream and hug and want to have a photo with me and <laughs> saying Waverly. And I was like looking and going, but you must be, this is, this was only a couple of years ago. I was like, you must have been eight. This is, doesn't make sense. No. You're not comprende. And I don't know what, yeah. you don't know who I am. Like what yeah. is going on? Because I mean, yeah, she was on it. She was there for about eight years in the mm-hmm. end. But that finished in twenty. No, that finished in 2004. Wow, yeah. So how old were you then, Jess? Oh, my God. I was born in 93. <laughs> there you go. So, the I started yeah. Shorty Street in 94. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, look, I know that it's in people's – it's just one of those things It's like I don't really watch sport, but you know who a few sports people are. Yes, just, totally. It's in, the, it's, in the, it's in the ethos and it's in the blood of New Zealand and that's lovely and I'm very proud of it. But it's nice that Waverley and Nick are like remembered as um, – I guess iconic or stalwarts of the show I know that you're super into and you are dedicated to living a life you know a healthy lifestyle and wellness is wellness the word my take on wellness is um you know I think wellness has become defined by an industry um in some ways but you've just got to go back to the core of the word which means you are well and trying to be well and literally the pursuit uh, wellness's definition is the pursuit of an active healthy life great so if we could all do wellness we'd all be fine (laughs) but we can't and so we do (laughs) podcasts like this and so what was your lifestyle like when you were a teenager you were working on shortland street what was your diet like were you healthy would did you think about this sort of stuff oh god no absolutely not and I just don't think you know and look if I hadn't got sick then maybe I wouldn't be quite as passionate about it as I am now although I just think you probably would something would be starting to go so you'd have to be paying attention to your health like I guess so many people are but no I certainly was not in anyway uh, focused on my health back then I was an incredibly energetic um, teenager who had something out of the ordinary and exciting going on in, in my life who and I and you know my focus was there I was very grateful that I had that job and it was really intense like your work hours are anywhere from sort of 5 45 in the morning to 7 p.m at night five days a week and and you're kind of like you know shorty street and the way that it's run is basically means you're sort of on call Mm -hmm. um at all of that time and busy and doing lots of intense sort of hours in studios and then lots of intense things outside that you know the public life was really big then and not that it's not now I think it was just it was still quite new and exciting and you were always at events and I was recognized everywhere I went so yeah it was an incredibly intense time but I, I look back and I have got seven years of memories and, um, you know, what that job entailed and meant to me during that period of time. And, it, yeah, I guess that was my primary focus. Mm-hmm. I also loved it, absolutely adored doing it, Yeah, had so much fun. But when it got threatened by my illness and yeah. it almost stopped and it could have stopped for 
I, of course, in my mind, when you're 20, you think it's going to stop forever. Mm-hmm. But, um, but so what happened when you were 20? Um, uh, I, I guess, you know, to, I, I, to go from that bit of being 13 to kind of 18, 19, 20, you know, I had forgotten that I really had this illness and my mum, you know, my mum looked after me really well in that regard and was always kept me on my medication, I'm sure, for as long as I was yep. under her care. Mm-hmm. And then I got Shorty Street when I was 16. I was still living at home. And, and I think when I went, when I was on the show when I was 18, I moved out of home. So by then, even while I was still living at home, you know, mum said, you just, you were off living this very adult life, which I was very... Uh, adept at looking after myself I was driving myself to and from Browns Bay every day on Mm -hmm. the other side of the city and managing these really adult responsibilities and um, so I started to grow up and theoretically take care of myself and so when I moved out of home if that's sort of 17 18 19 I just eventually got to a point where I stopped taking the the medication which at that point was just anti-inflammatory it wasn't I don't say just they were quite specialized anti-inflammatories that you were still meant to take morning and night. Mm-hmm. And I would, I remember I'd take them in the morning sometimes. Okay, yeah. And it's that flippancy mm-hmm. and also, like, I guess the arrogance of being young and that when you're 20, life doesn't, life feels like it's forever. And, and especially because you weren't being reminded that you had this thing. No, like and I you, didn't have pain. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I sure, I must have, and I definitely, it came back. Um, over that period of time. But yeah, I hadn't, I didn't have anybody knocking on the door kind of going, hey, you've got this thing and it's really serious because yeah. it sort of hadn't reared its head again. And I guess basically it did. Over the next three years, I slowly let go of looking after, of, of doing what any, you know, what the doctors were telling me. And the disease came back um, pretty hardcore because I was living fast and, mm-hmm. um, and you know, not eating great or whatever. I wasn't super unhealthy, but when I, yeah, look back at it now, it, was, it wasn't yeah. what I, how I live now. What were the symptoms like when um, it reared its head again? Pain, like really intense pain. And is that every time you <clears throat> ate food? Yeah, I think I probably, I just remember, so I, ha- I remember I used to, I started to call them my Crohn's pains. And right. It was this intense internal feeling where, and and um, sometimes it would wouldn't be that intense, but it, you'd almost get a headache out of it. You know, like it would be sore in your guts and sore in your head, mm-hmm. and then at times it would be really worse and it would be debilitating. So I'd either get to the point where I had to stop talking, or wow. like I never remember it affecting me on set at work. I obviously was very, I got very good at keeping it to myself. Yeah, and the adrenaline probably Absolutely. is just pushing you through. Yeah, so you're probably ending up in adrenal fatigue yeah. and all those <laughs> other things going on. So I would, I was on and would be always operating quite high octane and then go home and be exhausted. But yeah, the pain crept back. Um, that got worse and worse and uh, it, until the point where I couldn't ignore it anymore. So yeah, I had, I kept, I was still under specialist care that entire time and I think at that point probably had like six monthly checkups Mm -hmm. with a doctor that I wasn't very engaged with and as it got a bit worse my mum sort of helped me um we changed doctors and I got a specialist that I was a a woman Mm -hmm. um which definitely did make a difference and that I could engage with more and that just didn't let me get away with my shit so I started (laughs) to engage with it a bit more really in that regard my disease and I knew, I think ultimately, I knew it was getting worse and I wasn't doing anything about it. And I didn't feel capable. I didn't really have the tools. I wanted to run. I was 
absolutely in denial because I thought, rightly so, that it would negatively impact this kind of amazing career that I had going on. Yeah. And stop me doing what I loved. So I um, kept it in, uh, didn't do anything about it. It got worse and worse and worse downstairs. And um, I ended up uh, kind of not being rushed to hospital, but it was... um, we got a blood test back. I was coiled over in really, really, really bad pain one day and um, finally kind of ended up at my parents' house and had a blood test and the doctor rung and said, you need to come in immediately. And we were faced with either surgery happening overnight or, wow. um, you know, attempting some drug trials. And this is while you have this extraordinary job on Shortland Street. And I know that in the performing arts, there definitely is this mentality of like, you know, the show goes Must on. Must go on. Mm. And I think that that's not necessarily, like, put on us from producers or from directors or anything like that. It's just this really internalised yeah. feeling that we have. So how were you feeling when all of this was going down? Yeah, you're right. It's an innate thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's like the idea of the show must go on and that it will fall over without us. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I think we also, you carry this constant sort of sense of fear that it's it's your last gig. Every mm-hmm. gig is your last gig. And you could, I've read articles about Judy Dench saying the same thing. She was doing plays at the age of 80-something, thinking, you know, this might be her last one. So it's not, it's sort of a trait of the trade, and I definitely thought that, um, well, I knew it would affect my job, and I always felt kind of expendable. So I, yeah, I totally hid it. And then, of course, that blew up, and, and when I had to go into hospital, um, they had no warning, they being um, the, the producers of Shortland Street, and I all of a sudden had to ring them and say, I'm literally going to hospital, and I was due to be at work that day. Wow. So, yeah, you have this massive sense of responsibility to the people who are making the show, and it's a relentless kind of you know, non-stop factory, and you know that when you don't get to pull sickies, so when one person doesn't turn up, it affects the entire day. That affected the entire week, mm-hmm. and I didn't you know, I was terrified that it was going to yeah. annoy somebody enough that they'd fire me, yeah. <laughs> which very gratefully didn't happen. But I did end up being in hospital for um, just over a week. And then after that, I had to come back really slowly. Like they sort of, well, this year was a great example, right? Like Shortland Street, they almost ran out of episodes. So it's, it's <laughs> they shoot it very fast and they shoot it approximately like seven or eight weeks out from it being aired on TV. And, you know, they just about got to the, Thing it would have been the first time in twenty seven years or something that Shortland Street might not have been on TV, and even then they had to cut down when they were airing it. That's the intensity yeah, with which you were sort of working paced. at even back then. Yeah, and you carry that. Res- I carried that responsibility mm-hmm. with a great sense of um, respect and pride, and didn't want to f that up. Are what? we allowed to swear? I'm sorry. Yeah, you swear. can swear. Right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So what happened after this hospitalization? Then uh, I came. I had the kind of care of the producers trying to help me manage my workload and I sort of went back I I still had to go back and shoot stuff but they were really good at kind of trying to schedule it all together so that my workload was lower um, Mm -hmm. and that I could go home and theoretically rest which I think I did for a while I was terrified Um, I was really jolted Mm -hmm. and I made a deep commitment which um which I talk about in my book Jess <laughs> but, um, I definitely came out of that making a really deep commitment like it, it had been absolutely the wake-up call yeah and I made a deep commitment to like I'm not gonna let this thing stop me from doing what I love and I am gonna figure out how to beat this and what had happened in hospital was that 
I very briefly, again, it's in the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but what had happened in hospital was that I'd been told if uh, the drugs didn't take down the levels of inflammation in my body overnight that I would possibly have to have surgery. And at that point, it was quite a lot of my bowel that would have had to have been chopped wow. out. And that runs the risk of being then having a colostomy bag, which again, at the age of 20, you're just like, yeah. that is death. Yeah. Um, which it isn't, but it felt like it mm-hmm. and gratefully that and they put me on this kind of cocktail of some a, a new drug as that was an anti-inflammatory as well as steroid sort of thing and I, I the doctor walked in and the next morning and said you're really lucky the that started to take all of your levels down oh, which that's was fantastic white blood cell counts and things like that so um ESR levels and um inflammation levels in your blood and bloodstream so I I think because I was now, I was 22 and I did have this job that I cared about and I was incredibly, you know, um, confronted by the this point that I'd let it get to. And I was, I'm sort of, I guess I prided myself on being a smart young woman mm-hmm. and pretty onto it and quite self-aware yeah. and I'd still let this thing happen and yeah. I'd let it get to this point because I didn't want to talk to anybody about it, Yeah, which is, you know, what I really um, want I really want that conversation to shift in our society and I really hope that this, you know, we're slowly getting there. But the idea that you can swallow up, man, we can hide a lot of pain. Like, Mm -hmm. wow, we can hide a lot of pain. And I know people, I hope people know what I'm talking about when it's not just physical, all sorts, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you hide it for the sake of other people just as much as yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I definitely felt slapped in the face by what had happened and I wasn't going to let that go to waste. And I had really amazing conversations with my specialists about you need to tell me what this thing is now. So that was really the first time that I started to learn about Crohn's disease, that there was more and more people who had been diagnosed by this point, Mm -hmm. colonoscopies existed, all that sort of stuff. So at this point in time, all of a sudden I got to engage with it and say, okay, this is what I've got. What does that mean for me? And what do I have to do to get rid of it? So what were your symptoms then looking like from then on? Did you still have the pain or did this cocktail of drugs that they were, you know, giving you really? Uh, The cocktail, that's a great question. I reckon I still had pain ongoing. I think it's one of those things where from, from that point on, whilst it took the inflammation down, you'd still potentially like eat something that would absolutely cause it to kind of you'd feel this I mean yeah prior to that I would be out with friends eating and drinking and whatever and I didn't really drink that much alcohol then actually that was one that and coffee were two things that I deeply felt affect me like I could feel my guts twist almost um and with alcohol at that point in time it was just that it felt really like the acidity or the sugariness of it mm-hmm. felt like it was just pushing me a little bit too far over whatever my okay. limit was that I was so-called living with yeah, then. Yeah. But that I would end up in this um, pain that would feel like it shut me down. Like if I was a robot, I'd go boom yeah. and I would shut down in public. My best friend would look at me and she'd go and she would literally sort of say to friend, like if I would just go, I'd look down and I'd have, I'd go internal into this weird internal place and she'd go, oh, don't worry, it's just clears things. She'll be fine in a second. Mm-hmm. And it would pass, but it was so intense on your insides. And then of course, there's all sorts of other fun things like blood in stools yeah. and diarrhea yeah. and gas and bloating and a feeling nausea when you haven't eaten any, like all of those sort of digestive side effect issues. 
after coming out of the hospital and being put on the um, steroids, of course, you have massive bloating, like, sorry, um, water retention and swelling. So there is some amazing photos of me with a really, like I look like a chipmunk. I was a skinny body because I'd lost all this weight. I was anemic again. So again, with the malnutrition, malnourishment. Yeah. Both of those things. Both of those words. That I had kind of, you just have, yeah, I'd lost, I'd lost two, I'd gone down two dress sizes, which, you know, was not ideal. And, and it was all, um, and my skin got really translucent. And so, yeah, I just, I just think food, eating, everything attached to it became an unpleasant experience. So yeah, symptoms wise, all of the fun things. But then when I came out and then the bloating in the face stayed while the rest of you is kind of skinny and yeah. struggling. so That's from the steroids, isn't it? That's yeah. directly, yeah. that's what it was. So I, when I was in hospital, I had hydrocortisone administered for like six days at three, every three hours or four hours or something. Mm-hmm. Like that's why I had to stay in hospital. Yeah. And then, of course, was then stayed on high doses of steroids and prednisone and slowly was weaned off that. And I think that whole process probably took anywhere from three to four months. Okay. So it was a long, and I, uh, I'm only guessing that because you, I can remember doing things like maybe prednisone. You sort of do like two weeks at, I'm going to make up numbers now. No, I won't do that. Like 20 migs, and then you get down to yeah. 10, and then seven yeah. and five, right? Yeah, you definitely don't just stop. No, the you have to be weaned off it. Mm-hmm. But the, I think feeling, you know, feeling this, you feel like you're carrying it everywhere you go. Like it, I'm carrying. I felt like I was carrying it in my face, and I felt I guess embarrassed Mm -hmm. which is horrible to think you know embarrassed that I was my body felt sick that my face felt fat that my you know insides just you were sort of really I was aware of gurgling and my pain all the time yeah and to the point when I think about it now that when I cut to four years later coming off my last piece of medication that I'd ended up on at the end of like my, I basically, that sort of sparked a four year journey of mine with health and figuring out how to make myself better. And when I think about the feeling of when I came off that last pill, the, um, the level of relief and surprise that I felt on a daily basis is an, at my freedom from pain, mm-hmm. like walking around in a pain-free body where I wasn't expecting it. I think you walk with this constant sense of like the expectation that this yeah. pain's going to come or that this cramp is going to come. And that had obviously been a huge part of my daily existence at that point for a good eight years, really yeah. since that I think the disease probably had started coming back and really getting in, getting its claws in around age 17, 18. I'd ended up in hospital at the age of 22 and I came off my, I stopped my last azathioprine pill in December of 2004. And so that sounds like that was a journey. During that time, were you researching and understanding health, well-being and really focusing on that? So how yeah, did that not, look? Not focusing. Sorry, I shouldn't. I didn't get obsessed about how I got. I was just. Fo- I was determined. It was more an internal determination to come off my medication. I was like, okay. I'd been told in the hospital, this is what you've got, and you're going to have it forever. Yeah. And you're going to have to be on medication forever to manage this illness. And again, I just was like, that doesn't make sense to me. I think it was a really innate feeling of that doesn't make sense. Like I understand that I'm going to need to manage this pain, and that clearly I need 
meds to get off, you know, to get to a point that's yep. better. But I don't think it was just blind determination. Yeah. And so um, where did you start? What was the first thing? <laughs> well, Jess, that's why I've written a book. Oh, okay. Um, it's in the book. <laughs> it's not so much that it's in the book. And and obviously we'll get to that. And I'm very excited that I have managed to write a book and, and it's about all these things. But it's more that it, it was a journey and everybody for years used to ask me, what did you do? And it's yeah. really impossible to say one thing. And it's also mm-hmm. impossible to just wrap it up in a you know, short period of time and, yeah. and, um, and, but I guess in summary, I was led from one thing to another. I learned about my, um, I learned about how the digestive system works. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause the thing that, that I do get really passionate about is that, uh, and even today, if someone's diagnosed with an illness like this, which is a digestive issue, mm-hmm. they still have no dietary advice that they can really give you. Yeah. And that is they being your actual specialists and or sort of surgeons. And um, they say you need to follow, and I'm inverting commas here, follow a healthy, the healthy recommended lifestyle. And what the current medical profession says is a healthy recommended lifestyle is eating a nutritious, balanced diet, getting regular exercise, not smoking and not drinking excessive alcohol. All right. <laughs> and it's kind of like, what does that mean? Yeah. Oh, you have to go and look it up yourself. Nobody's even telling you that either. So as far as what I did, it was kind of going on this massive journey of learning about, you know, how to fix my guts. I learned how to, I learned to go back and deal with old emotional trauma from the past. Mm-hmm. I learned to talk about my all my feelings. Yeah. And, you know, and it was an absolute mix of mental, emotional, physical healing that had to be done. And I'm not saying that there was any grand specific trauma that occurred that was one triggering thing for me, gratefully, mm-hmm. but there was a, an accumulation yep. of things that you just kind of go, oh, okay, well, that makes sense for me or my history. And it builds this picture of your own personal health, which I guess for once I got to know more and more and I wasn't running away. I was very yep. willing to look. I was yep. invested in it and I was invested in it with like financially as well it was expensive and I was a really lucky lady that I was working on Shorten Street I was earning great money and I could go and spend $160 to see some sort of practitioner that somebody had said I should try yeah and I could be prepared to fail with that person Mm -hmm. which is amazing and so many people are not in that position therefore it I did try things and fail and some things helped and some things didn't fundamentally learning how to strengthen the muscles in my body really helped. Yes. Actually, I was listening to a podcast that you were talking on and I was so taken with this, you know, moment where you were like, when you started focusing and doing Pilates, you were, you know, strengthening your core muscles and immediately you were like, well, this is just a problem. Like, no wonder I'm in so much pain and can't. I mean, and I guess with that, it's like, up until that point, I'd never been an exercising kind of a girl. Mm. I was the, I was dancing, singing drama. Yeah. <laughs> and then I ended up working in television yeah. and uh, was not pursuing external exercise in any way, shape or form other than, you know, dancing around lounges with my friends. But so I hadn't really done anything. And then when I found, and I was also on TV and I was a slouching mess. So there, you know, like you, you, I could see it that I would sort of was kind of a slouchy, hunched over, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, slumpy 20 year old on screen. And I got a role in a play 
while I was still at Shorty Street and at that point in time, you know, knew that I was going to be doing, but having shooting during the day and doing the play at night, yep. knew that I needed lots of energy and knew that I probably needed to get a bit fitter. And so I, um, I'd found Pilates and yeah, like a couple of years later, it was like, when you realize that you've built up strength literally from your pelvic muscles, so from your hip, deep inside your hips, into your low abdominals, and then all the way up through your abdominals to your rib cage, where literally I had mus- a muscular su- system supporting me to help keep me keep my rib cage lifted and to keep my whole uh, upper torso lifted up out of my hips. Mm. You're like, well, now my torso is supported by these muscles that were designed to wrap around me and be this the casing of the shell yeah (laughs) and inside now my floaty digestive tract that's been smushing around in Mm -hmm. there that my ribs and my organs have probably been crunching down on whenever I'm sitting badly or standing badly now I have these muscles that is exactly what they were designed to do in my stomach and my back wrapping around there to keep me more elongated so they kept everything lifted Mm -hmm. and lengthened so there was more space there so I wasn't collapsing my digestive system yeah I know it sounds really obvious yeah when you're not somebody who's exercised before and if I think especially when that area is damaged tender destroyed and or you know hurting in Mm -hmm. some way anyone who has digestive issues will tell you you get very uh, closed in and wrapped around and protective around that area so actually for years it had been soft and this literally felt like it lengthened me up and out of that and, um, yeah, it gave it this kind of protective house that was much better for it to probably be a little bit healthier in. Absolutely. Yeah, so Pilates became a big part of my life to the point where I then, when I left Shorty Street, I trained as a trainer. Oh, amazing. So just so that I could keep doing it and yeah. wouldn't forget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I loved the information, you know, like that again had been a part of that journey where I'd got really curious about the body and how the body works. And that information to me was, I was, was drive a driving force. Like I was incredibly um, curious and fascinated about it all driven out of necessity. Yeah. And so you took your last pill. I took my last pill. I rung my specialist. Um, My specialist was very aware of the process that I was going through. Yes, so your specialist was here for this whole journey. This wasn't you just on your own Googling a bunch of things and then trying to get it diagnosing myself and then buggering off and doing it. No, and I can't – it's really hard to describe, I guess. It's just something that I had an innate kind of sense of trust about the fact that it had been this really long journey – I knew that I'd fixed lots of things that I didn't even realize I'd needed mm-hmm. to fix. I had a really healthy diet by this point. So I was by then, like, I never really followed a specific diet. And I think it's really tricky with that because, as we now know, so many people have so many different reactions to different types of food. Yeah. And it isn't, we are not all created equal. And no, it every isn't one rule body form. is different, even if you both have Crohn's disease. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what one person can eat, the other person can't. And they, again, the doctors don't have much advice for you on that. They can say maybe avoid fibrous foods, but that's when you've got a really inflamed system. And once, and I know I've got, you know, I I do know lots of people who eventually, who took medication to get to a place where they were stronger and healthier again. And, you know, at that point, you're trying to have as much of a balanced diet as you can because you need to be getting your good nutrients and all the right healthy fats and proteins and things in there sort of for all the right reasons. But 
you know when something makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You just have to pay attention. Yeah. And I think when you have a digestive issue, it's really easy to pay attention. Yeah. You have to start paying attention. And it's almost like the you know, people who don't or think with all these so many people with allergies and issues now, it's because you get very um we don't really pay a lot of attention. You can get all these little kind of chronic things that can happen. Yeah. But it's not until you're sick that you really start paying attention, right? And yeah. You kind of go, oh, I, this is now I know how this thing's making me feel and that's good yeah. for me and that's not. And so here we are. Uh, yeah. So I kind of. It was. It was. It was. Um, it got to the end of that sort of, I guess, journey. Felt really great. Knew that I felt fit and healthy and was putting good things into my body. But I, I still didn't know if it was going to stay away and yeah. all the rest of it. But I guess because of that, I literally have made it a priority in my life to manage my health um, and put it as in first position almost, you know, daily. Not, I mean, it doesn't stay there. Um, I am not holier than thou and I yeah. am perfect and I absolutely <laughs> wobble all over the show. But, but I have been Crohn's free for 20 years. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Thank you. And I I think that for the first five years of that period of time, I was, you know, not, I just was sort of like, I, I, I guess I worried that it might come back and I was being really realistic about the fact that it might, but I had been so doggedly determined to beat it and I kind of feel like it left my body. Like I went through enough, you know, I saw lots of different people. I've seen naturopaths and I've seen different um, practicing healers and tried different dietary things. Um, But I didn't like go through one thing where I did the elimination diet. I I sort of, I guess I probably have done that in some way, shape or form over the years where you just realized that certain things, I just know now certain foods don't make me feel great or aggravate me in some mm-hmm. way, but none of them have caused Crohn's disease again. And, yeah. you know, I now drink coffee, I drink alcohol, I eat cheese. But I stopped all of those things for periods of time back then. Yeah. And so now it's just a constant kind of um, awareness where I have to be – I know that if I have had a really boozy weekend, then yeah. I'm going to have to be really uh, as anti-inflammatory as I can for the next two or three days yeah. because that's the – part of the equation that I'm now managing mm-hmm. so I feel like I'm always managing that but also not just physical for me emotion like I'm an actor I'm a curious passionate human who's kind of you know still very busily trying to achieve things in the world and I know when I've got mentally I, I'm really aware of my mental health I think in the way that I kind of I know what it feels like when I've got out of touch with myself or when I can't manage my own emotions in a way that I go Oh, you're you're getting really wobbly here. Yeah. So I have people that I see, or I have, you know, I know I've got my friends that I phone, that I can talk to about certain aspects of that, or I go and see people that help bring me back into balance. Like it's a physiological thing. Yeah, it really takes a village, doesn't it? It's just it finding does. your little network of it, what works for you. Yeah, it is, and I think that's the thing. You know, twenty years later, I'm aware, and now lots of people ask me about Crohn's, and every time I'll sort of, if someone says, "Look, I've I've got it," or I know someone who has, have you got advice for them? And I'm like, I'm happy to give you some advice, but I need to talk to you first about what your story is, yeah, because it's not going to be the same as mine, yeah, and I won't dish out advice like a doctor, but I can definitely point you in the direction. Except I tried, you know. 40 things yeah <laughs> and I don't want that for you yeah <laughs> I would like to just give you two things that you could have a yeah. think about but you know a lot of the time people I think when they're sick they're on their own journey with it and I that's 
you have to be. Yeah. I just hope that by talking about it more and having conversations about it and creating websites and books and things that can help people, maybe they can move faster than I did. It, it just really angers me that so many people are so chronically ill these days and I think it's a real flaw in our relationship to our health system yeah. and that we haven't been taught to discuss what what is what feels healthy, what is good health, what's not. And so, you know, like that rise of the wellness world is almost doing it for us, but it's really easy to poo-poo it or roll your mm-hmm. eyes at it. And it's like, it's not until somebody's kind of unwell or sick that they start to go, oh, well, maybe yeah. I should think about what my mental health state is like or Mm -hmm. what um, I am putting in my body or the fact that all of that sugar does cause inflammation for me is we handed the responsibility of our health over to other people like our old traditional model of medicine is that these very clever people trained to figure out how our bodies work and therefore how to fix them when something Mm -hmm. went wrong with them and we've evolved and we've evolved as a species into now understanding all of these intricate wiring systems that we do have, yeah. like our central nervous system, like our that what our we're only scientists are only just naming and figuring out what the guts are actually made of, which is yeah. the science behind the microbiome and how that works with our mitochondria and how that connects to our brain health. Yeah, you know, well, where we still are new in the sense that we're learning all these things about brains and the lymphatic system or the endocrine system or you know all of these systems the reproductive system they're still yeah there's still heaps of things they don't understand yeah. about that and if you were told at school we don't know everything <laughs> so you should pay attention to your body because you'll probably know a little bit more than us sometime yeah which is the case you all mm-hmm. as as we get older you learn more about your body and I just if if we were given some tools to pay attention and also be taught what is in inverted commas normal mm-hmm. or to be expected Maybe we'd all be empowered to, you know, help each other and ourselves a little bit more and stop relying on a medical system that's quite broken. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Doctor, doctor <laughs> going to fix me when I get, you know, when I break my leg or get hit by a car or needed lung transplant. Um, and, and again, yeah, I've stayed in great touch with my gastroenterologist. She's in our book. <laughs> yes. So tell uh, us about this book. Well, yeah, good for Are we you. allowed to talk about it? I mean, yeah. I've, um, hopefully it might be in my hands <laughs> by the end of this year. In the year that people joked about starting podcasts and yeah. writing books. Um, but this was the plan. Uh, this was in the diary since January. And then in true irony, during lockdown, when our lockdown happened here in New Zealand in what, March, April... I did not write a book. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking that the idea of writing a book on health in the middle of a global health pandemic, the likes of which we'd never seen, was the stupidest (laughs) idea in the world. And I drank rosé and I talked to my friends on Zoom. (laughs) So I did not write this book in lockdown. But as soon as lockdown finished and things felt really like glowy and exciting here in New Zealand, and I realised as also interestingly more information was coming out about COVID um, and how that disease has been starting to sort of like what the scientists are saying about it and I kind of realized that actually the things that I have learned and the things I'm applying to my life to 
you know, as you were asking before on a sort of daily basis is still really important to talk about more, maybe more so than ever. Yeah. My partner in this is a journalist called Kylie Bailey. She's an amazing writer and also invested in her own health and wellness story, having lived with anxiety from quite a young age and learning to manage that through different types of therapy. So we've, we've written a book on gut health. Okay. And general feeling good health. And I hope that it's sort of a bit like a cookbook that you can dip in and out of. It's not me harping on about my Crohn's story yeah. for <laughs> 500 pages or anything horrible <laughs> like that. It's hopefully a really fun, useful, interesting book that just gets people talking or investing in their own kind of health story. Because as you said before, everybody is different. And yeah. What's going to be right for me is not right for you, but we're really aware of that, and I've, we've written this with that in mind. So hopefully, it just becomes a bit of a kickstart or a useful tool for people. I am very excited to read this book. I can't hopefully, wait for it to come it, out. Yes, well, hopefully, uh, I really don't have a date, but aiming for December might be January. One of those two. We will wait yeah. and see. We'll stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Claire, for sharing your story with me today. Thanks, Jess. Well, it's awesome what you're doing, and I think that um, you know, trying to get people again aware that there are so many like you said to me before that there's so many people out there like you could be in a really big famous job on tv and suffering in silence Mm -hmm. um and i think there's lots and lots of people who suffer in silence out there so i just hope that's something that we can change i want to say a huge thank you to you for listening in from wherever you are and supporting that's so chronic it truly means a lot While I will always try to publish correct information, I am still learning and understand that the world of medicine is constantly changing. As always, feel free to message me on Instagram at That's So Chronic. And if you enjoyed this episode, how about leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or share it with someone who would love it? That helps me get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and more importantly, hope. And don't forget to subscribe.